Well, good morning, Soul City Church. How are you this morning? That is the right answer. It is good to see you in this room and in our overflow space as well. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church, and I love when we get to gather together like this. Uh, so, you know, how was your week? Anything, anything fun happen in your life this, this week? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I totally forgot a small detail. Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, 108 years in the making. How fun. You got to love it, even if you're not a huge Cubbies fan. How fun for our city. My wife wanted to make sure, Jeannie, one of the other lead pastors here, wanted to make sure that you knew that it was her wearing her Madden for President shirt last week that really rallied the city and rallied our Cubbies to go all the way. So she just wants to make sure she gets proper credit as you thank God and thank Theo, thank Jeannie as well. Uh, how amazing, uh, was anyone at the rally or the, the kind of parade along the way? Yeah, five million people. Seventh largest gathering in human history. What? This city has been, this is some pent up frustration and celebration. 108 years worth, holy cow, no other words to say. Actually, Jeannie and I went and took the kids last night to Wrigley. We wanted to take them out there. It was like 7 o'clock at night. And there's easily a couple thousand people just still milling around, walking around, <laughs> selling things on every corner. And we're like, we just walked the whole block. It was so, so fun for us. And what a great time for our city. And I just want to say, uh, for those of you who are from Chicago, live here in Chicago now, enjoy this. We waited a long time for this. Celebrate, enjoy it, live in this moment because Tuesday is coming. <laughs> and I just don't want you to miss all the hugs and the high fives that we've been giving each other, how our city has felt so united together. Tuesday is coming and I don't want you to miss what we have to celebrate. That's why we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks uh, God's politics, because we want to talk about the things that matter most to God. This election season seems to have gone on the longest and has become the most embarrassing in American history. We are all ready for Tuesday, aren't we? We know it's not going to end, though, on Tuesday, and so that's why we're talking about things that matter to the heart of God that we need to pay attention to in our own lives. And so uh, if you've missed any of the last few weeks, I'd encourage you to catch up, to go online, go on our podcast. You can catch up. Maybe while you're waiting in line to vote on Tuesday, you can be listening to the previous sermons from this teaching series because I made you a promise the very first week. And the promise was that we were actually going to tell you exactly how to vote this Tuesday. So I don't want you to be confused or misinformed when you go to vote on Tuesday, assuming you haven't already done early, early voting. I don't want you to be confused. I want you to know exactly how to vote on Tuesday. Are we clear on that? I think that's what the church actually should be talking about. Now, I don't mean who to vote for. We would never dream of doing that. That's between you and your own convictions, you and God, whatever. You, that, but how to vote is actually what we should be talking about. The heart with which you go into a season like we're in right now. 
While you may be losing your faith in our political system, we actually want to help grow your faith in God and anchor you to something greater than an election cycle. Agreed? Because we said in the very beginning, for those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus and were committed to being in a relationship with him, we have so many different types of folks all over the place when it comes to God here at this church. I love that about this church. But I want to just say a word to those of you who would call yourselves followers of Jesus in this space. We've made a commitment and we've just said we don't put our faith into elections. We don't put our faith into elections. It's not all hanging on this election for us. We put our faith into what? Into action. We actually live out our life with God in the world that we are in. We don't hang our hopes on elections. This is why no matter what happens on Tuesday, you don't have to be overcome with the outcome. Because your hope is actually set on something greater than this world. And that you actually know that when the days are darkest, your light shines brightest. And so we've been trying to elevate our perspective and kind of see where God is at in the midst of this season. So as we are in this unique moment, I would call it the calm before the storm, before this Tuesday, I want to ask you a question that I think can maybe really shape and frame how you vote this Tuesday, and, and really, honestly, this is a question that goes well beyond this week. This is actually a question that can help you for whatever decisions, major decisions you're making in your life, where you feel like you have to choose you know, a difficult decision. There's a question you can ask that I think is really, really important. We're going to explore today. The question is, how would you choose, how would you go about choosing if you knew that you could never lose? Do you think, knowing that no matter what you couldn't lose, do you think that would change how you go about making choices. Like if you already knew the outcome, like I can't lose. I actually know that no matter what, I'm not gonna lose. Do you think that might do something to eliminate some of the fear you feel around major choices and decisions you have to make? Some of the anxiety you might feel, some of the angst you might feel? How would you choose? How would you go about making big choices if you knew you could never lose? It's the fear, listen, it's the fear of losing that makes the, the task of choosing so daunting. It's the fear of losing that makes the task of choosing so daunting for so many of us because we're so afraid of getting it wrong. We want to be right. We want to win. We want to make sure that we do it right. And I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive person. Any competitive folks here in this room? Yeah, I guarantee you I'm more competitive than you. I, I'm... <laughs> My wife is way more competitive than me. Our son, Elijah, is very competitive. Uh, our daughter, Gigi, is the only Christian in our family, apparently. <laughs> only one with the Holy Spirit in her heart. So whenever like, we play Monopoly or when we, when we play Uno, it gets ugly. Like We need to bring in a therapist in real time to play with us because we're very competitive. The trash talking starts immediately. And I find myself, and maybe this is just me, I find myself making competitions out of things that totally don't matter, that actually aren't competitions. One of the biggest competitions I find on a regular basis is when I'm at Target, I'm going to check out. It's a competition which lane I'm going to choose. It matters. And so I'll kind of look and go, okay, well, they've got nine kids. I'm not going to go in that line. All right, they've got two carts. I'm not going to go in that line. And so I'll kind of like place little markers. Okay, if I would have gotten in there, I would have gotten in there. Let's see if I get to the end. There's no prize for getting through the checkout line at Target. It's all in my head. But I do it whenever I come up to like the toll booth, you know, I'm on the interstate and I'm coming up to the toll booth, like which lane am I going to pick? Which lane am I going to pick? And you know, you kind of feel that like, oh, that one's got a semi. That's going to be slower. I know that's going to be slower. So I'm going to go behind this guy. And then you realize that they don't have an eye pass. <laughs> 
and they don't have any change. And now you're backing up on the freeway to let them out. Again, no real consequences here. There's just, it's a way of being competitive for me where I kind of just do that stuff. And it's all kind of goes in my head and I, get, I can make a really big deal out of really, really, really small things. And we, all of us, all of us kind of have this fear around losing. So it makes the task of choosing that much more difficult for us. And a lot of it stems down to, I want to kind of just do a little philosophy 101 here and then we'll get to the Bible and then we'll go on and be on our way. A lot of it comes down to a broken belief. It's actually a broken binary belief that we have that all of our big choices and all of our decisions are either this or that kind of choices. It's either this or it's that. It's either good or it's not as good or even Bad. Now, to be clear, I'm not talking about the choices between should I sin and should I trust God. Those are obvious choices. Those are clear choices. I'm talking about the life choices that we have to make, like an election. And so we see it as kind of a this or a that sort of thing. It's a binary thing. It's either this or it's that. And philosophers call this the dilemma of dualism. It's the dilemma of dualism because what we do is we kind of narrow our choices down to a comparison that we do against the other choice. It's all about a comparison in comparison to each other. It's an, it, listen to me, it becomes an either or proposition and oftentimes we make it all or nothing. Okay, so I want to kind of set the context here that we have this thing called the dilemma of dualism where we see our decisions as either or decisions. It's either this or it's that. And we make them all or nothing. You're either all this or you're all that. And all of us know that life is far more creative and complex and beautiful than that. But so often this is where we put ourselves and back ourselves into that corner. Now listen, okay, so I know it's philosophy 101. I see the glazed look on your faces. Let me just explain to you how you actually already do this, whether you realize it or not. So let's just take the city that we live in that we love so much. Let's take baseball in this city. If you live in this city and you love baseball, you're either a Cubs fan or a Sox fan. You get it? You're a North Sider or a South Sider. We just do that all the time. We say it's either or. And you're all or nothing. You can't possibly be for both. And I, I just think it's hilarious over the last couple of weeks that Sox fans have been like, you know what? I'm a Sox fan but I'm going to give it to the Cubs. Yes, of course you're going to give it to the Cubs. It's been 108 years. Get over yourself. It's not that complicated, all right? So that's what we do. So, okay, think about the technology that you have, like your phone or your personal computer. We say that oftentimes people are either Mac or PC, right? So you can go either Mac or PC. Do you see the either or, all or nothing kind of thing? And we kind of draw our lines and divide up and kind of pick our camps of loyalty that we're going to stick with. Okay, so think about this for those of you who have pets. You're either a dog person or someone who needs the Holy Spirit in their life, who needs the loving guidance of God in your life on a daily basis. All right? Okay, so this is the dilemma of dualism, either or, all or nothing. Now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? Can we get to the Bible here in a moment? Yes, we can. But I want you to think about where we have positioned ourselves and what we've come to in this moment in American history. I want you to think about the choice that we're going to be making on Tuesday because it is a dilemma, oftentimes, of dualism. You're either a Republican or a Democrat. Now, I know third party people are third party. Okay, we'll get... We see you, we love you, you're awesome, you're unique, we'll get to you in a little bit. Play along with the metaphor here. You're either a conservative or a liberal. You're on the right or you're on the, you're either for us or you're, that's where it leads. 
That's the dilemma of dualism. Is that it's either or, all or nothing. And this is what is at the root of so much of the division in our nation today. The political division in our nation today. Racial tension division in our nation today. It comes down to this... I have to kind of go all in with this kind of system and set of beliefs and anyone who's not this is against me and they don't get it and we get it and they don't. This is the divide that we find in our politics in this particular moment in American history. And here's the crazy thing. It's not new. It's just the worst it's ever been. But it's not new. In fact, our founding fathers, some of our founding fathers saw where we were heading and saw the writing on our nation's newly formed wall and said, hold up, wait a minute, let's see where this thing goes if we play it out. In fact, John Adams, 200 years ago, had these words to say about our dilemma of dualism we find ourselves in this particular political moment. He said this, there is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged under its leader and imposing measures in, what's the phrase? Imposing measures in opposition. See, this is what we do. It's, if you're not this and we're not that, and you're, it's, it's opposition, 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 either or, all or nothing. This, in my humble apprehension, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our constitution. John Adams, not playing, okay? These are serious words, and he was right. This is a problem that we've backed ourselves into, that this, the dilemma of dualism, that it's either or, all or nothing, and we've all seen it, we've all felt it. My hunch is at some point over this election season, you've probably found yourself saying something similar to, there's gotta be a better way than this. Is this the best we can do? There has to be a better way. That tension, that longing for a better way is actually what I wanna talk about for the next few moments, because there is another way, a better way. There always is, and it's not just a third party candidate. It's the third way of Jesus. The third way of Jesus. It's not either or, it's actually above all of that. It's the way of Jesus. And he is the choice above all of our choices that gives context to every decision we have to make and provides us a way. No matter what we're choosing between, we can actually always win when we actually come to him. And I want to talk about what that looks like. So if you would grab a Bible and open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to give you an example of what this third way of Jesus looks like. So if you have a Bible with you, fantastic. Open to 1 Timothy 2. If not, grab one of the gray Bibles in your seat back and open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's on page 829, if that helps you get there faster. In the gray Bible, page 829. We're going to look at this third way of Jesus. It's rooted in the reality of God's love in a relationship with God through Jesus where we move forward in our life with God through prayer and action. Prayer and action. That's part of the the way of Jesus in this world is that we move forward by prayer and by action, by loving others and serving God in this world. Prayer has a powerful effect on your way that you see things and how we come to God and how we look at ourselves and how we look at the world. And so I want to read you a passage that explains and illustrates just that. Let me give you quick context. This is a letter. This is a book of 1 Timothy. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Does anyone want to guess who it was written to? Timothy, you guys are totally theologians. And so Timothy is who it's written to. He's a young leader that Paul had been mentoring, a young church leader. And so Paul is kind of passing on wisdom and 
and godly direction into his life. And Timothy was someone who actually knew what it was like to be on the other side of political power to have it used against you. Because at this time, there was a, uh, the Roman Empire was the greatest empire in the world, and it was the ruling power of the day. And so the church was actually formed, this Christian faith, the church was actually formed in the midst of and underneath political oppression and opposition. So Timothy had friends that had been arrested, friends that had been killed. In fact, he had been arrested himself. Paul had been arrested and beaten many times because of his faith. So imagine the audacity of Paul to offer these words to Timothy in that context and then to us in ours as well. This is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. It says, I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for who? Be made for all people. You might want to circle that word all, even if it's not your Bible. Just go ahead and circle that word all, because that's really important. Because what we tend to do when we come to God in prayer, specifically around moments like this, is we tend to try and convince God to get on our side of things. Or we tend to pray for those who believe the same things we believe, or who look the same way we look, or who come from the same place that we come from. And so we pray kind of around and about ourselves to a certain degree. But what Paul is saying here is, no, 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 when we come together, we come together to pray for all people, even those who vote differently than you, look differently than you, have a different story than you, we actually pray for all people. And he goes on to expand on what that even means. And I think this is important for us in this particular political moment. It says in 1 Timothy 2, 2, we pray for kings and all those in what? All those in? That's interesting. We pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and what? Peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now this is interesting, isn't it? The invitation from Paul is to follow the third way of Jesus and to pray, to pray our way through rather than get stuck in the dilemma of dualism, either or, all or nothing. We actually pray because we have a different, a bigger, a better perspective. It doesn't mean that we don't vote. It doesn't mean that you don't do your homework. It doesn't mean that you don't get engaged and involved. It just means that you don't do any of those things without praying, that we pray our way through that you actually, even though it may feel like you don't have a choice, you actually have a choice. The choice is whether or not you will pray, whether or not I will pray. And I'm telling you, this is a very, as I was like crafting and creating this sermon, very, very convicted for myself personally. Because there have been multiple times throughout this political season that seems to have gone on forever where I'm watching TV, watching the news, or specifically watching a debate, and I find myself yelling at the television, like yelling at the TV as though those on the other side can hear me go, oh, wait, wait a second, Jared has a point to make. He seems to be telling us how to do it the right way. You know, so I, I found myself getting frustrated. I found myself just kind of throwing my hands up in the air and going, you know what, it's whatever, I don't care. But what I'm convicted about is the few number of times that I've actually stopped and said, you know what, I'm actually just, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray for these candidates. I'm gonna pray for our country. Not that my side would win, not that they would see things my way. God, I'm just going to pray that your will would be done. I'm going to lay down my kind of agenda here and go, God, I don't know what else to do. So I'm going to pray. I'm convicted over how far down the list that tends to come in my reactions and responses in this political season. There is always a choice. The choice is whether or not you will pray. When's the last time 
Now let's just be honest. I was just honest with you, right? You be honest with me. When is the last time you actually prayed for our mayor? Prayed for our mayor. It's easy to put them on blast. It's easy to kind of like complain about this, that, or the other. And there are real challenges, real problems, real things that are really broken in our city. But I'm just asking you, when was the last time you chose the third way and said, I'm going to actually, I'm going to pray. Do you have any idea what it would mean to our mayor to know that there's a church praying for him? Just praying for him. When's the last time you prayed for any of the candidates running for president? Just prayed for them. Again, not that they would kind of come along your side or that God would smite them or whatever it would be. It's the prayer is, God, these are men and women, sons and daughters, children created in your image. They matter to you just as much as I do. And so I just want to pray for them. I want to pray for them right now. Even if you don't even have the words to say, you can just say their name. God, I just pray for, and you can just say their name. When's the last time? that you actually did that. It's so easy to put someone on blast. It's so easy to post something on Facebook. But the real work, the third way work, is actually in getting down on your knees and praying for those who are in authority, your leaders. See, this is why Paul says we do it, verse three. It's good. It's because it's good. It's the right thing to do. And it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. Now, that's really important. There we see it over and over and over again. He wants all people. We pray for all people. We pray for all leaders. We pray because God wants to see all people be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, to actually have a transformational relationship with God. We pray for all people, even the people we don't agree with, even the people whose politics we don't appreciate. We can still actually pray for them. Think about that the next time you're scrolling through Facebook and one of your friends posts something so stupid, according to you. Rather than just commenting and going, oh, you can't believe you'd think this, or just discounting them like, oh my gosh, they have seriously, they drank crazy juice at some point, and they have gone on the crazy train, I don't even know what their deal is. Like, what if you actually just stopped and said, God, I just pray for them. Just pray for them by name. There's something powerful that happens when you actually do. Something inside of you changes, and you're reminded of something greater than you. Verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. That There is a God who's actually in control. He is above it all, and there's one ruler, one leader that works between God and us, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. God is actually the ultimate authority. God is the one with all the power. And when Jesus came to earth, we've talked about this a lot at Soul City, he came to earth fully human and fully God. Fully human and fully God. Fully God meant that he had all of the power of God actually in him. Consider that for a moment, that he walked around in flesh and blood just like you and me, but all the power of God was in him. That's a powerful thing to consider. And when people saw his authority, when they heard him teach or when they saw the miracles he performed, what they wanted to do with the power that they saw is they actually wanted to make him king. Because they knew in their day that political power was the ultimate power. If you had political power, you could make laws to make people do whatever you wanted them to do. And if they didn't do what you wanted them to do, you could have them arrested or even killed. That's power. So they saw the power in Jesus and confused it with political power, aims, and aspirations. But here's what Jesus actually did with his power. Jesus came and demonstrated his power by laying his power down. 
by laying his life down, by committing himself and submitting himself to death, even death on a cross for your sake and for mine. That's power. All the power of God and then just laying it down for you and for me. And when we pray, we're reminded of that reality, that that is actually what God is up to. That is what Jesus has done for us. Something powerful begins to happen when we pray. Things sort of get put in the right places that have gotten all messed up by our culture, by our stress or anxiety or whatever it is. Prayer has a way of putting things back in the right places. In fact, what prayer actually has the power to do is it has the power to change your perspective. Really interesting. That prayer has the power to change your perspective. So where all you see is right or left or this side or that side, prayer has the power to actually change your perspective and remind you of the bigger picture of a God who is actually on the throne and still in control. And that no matter sort of which choice you feel, you have to make that ultimately, if you make that choice with God, you will never actually ever lose. May not turn out like you thought or you wanted, but if you are with God, you will never ever lose. Prayer is the power to change your perspective from being hopeless to being hopeful. Someone who's hopeless, oh, I just give up, I just can't even look at this election, it's ridiculous, to being someone who is actually hopeful and has something to offer this world. Prayer has the power to change your perspective from a place of fear to a position of faith because your hope is rooted in something far greater than this election. Prayer has the power to change your perspective from this just being about the lesser of two evils to seeing the greatness of God's love at work in this world. Prayer has the power to help shift and change your perspective from trying to convince others to your side and your view to being convinced that there's actually nothing that can separate anyone from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Prayer has the power to shift and change your perspective from who's going to win to who's already won and secured his victory for us on the cross and an empty tomb. Prayer has the power to change your perspective from an election to eternity. That there is a bigger thing at play here and at work and you get to be right up in the middle of it when you commit and submit yourself to being one who prays their way through life. Again, it doesn't mean you don't act, doesn't mean you don't vote, doesn't mean you don't do your homework. It just means that you don't do any of those things without praying. That we seek God's will for our lives in the world that we're living in. Prayer has the power to change your perspective. And I think so often, again, I, I needed to and I need to be reminded of this, that I have a third way, that I always have a choice whether or not I'm going to pray. And so one of the things we wanted to do to help remind all of us of that, that there actually is a third way and that you can begin to do it today when you commit to praying your way through this election is we, we thought we would do something fun. One of the best parts about voting, uh, in my opinion, is the little sticker you get. After. I mean, yes, participating in the freedom of democracy that many people fought for. Yes, also the sticker. And so this is a, uh, what we put together as a team 
to remind you to commit to pray that there is something actually a, a bigger and a better perspective that you can have. So if you're sitting on an aisle seat, there should be a little jar with one of these stickers in it. Some of these stickers, why don't you grab that and start passing it down? We should have those for everyone. If not, make sure everyone gets one and pass them around. Grab a little sticker. You can put it on now or you can hold on to it because as you can see, there's a little hashtag on there, Soul City Church. What we want you to do is to take a picture of you wearing this, maybe at the election, like not inside the election booth, but outside the polling center, right? You can take a picture. Uh, maybe it's, you want to wear it today and you take a picture to remind yourself, see, while everyone else is putting messages out there that can lead to division, this is one where we say, no, this is what we're committed to. We're actually committed to praying. And I, we want to see as many of these shared as possible. And we want to share your picture. So if you take it and put the Soul City Church hashtag, we might share it in our stream and kind of gonna get the word out there that there is a community of people who are committed to something far greater than just division and divisive rhetoric. We're committed to a third way, a better way, a bigger way, to having our own perspective changed by the love of God that we find in prayer. And rather than me continuing to like talk about it or try and convince you to do your homework this week and actually pray, I thought what actually might be better is if we just stopped right now as a church and prayed together for our leaders. And we just did it instead of talk about it. So if you uh, are kind of new to prayer, you can just follow along with me and kind of pray with me. If you, you know, or someone is in a relationship with God, you've been praying for a little while now, I encourage you to pray as God leads you right now. Maybe there's places where you have found yourself as one of those ones who kind of keeps trying to drill it into everyone else's face and everyone else's head while you're right and your candidate is right. And maybe the place you need to start is confession. And just say, God, forgive me for thinking I had to prove that I'm right, my way is right, and convince everyone else, forgive me for that. God, help me to see that your way is higher, your way is better. We're gonna pray for some of our officials, elected officials by name right now, and maybe there's others that you know of that you wanna pray for. You can go ahead and do that, but I'm just gonna lead us through a time of prayer and response right now. So we take a posture of prayer when we pray around here. We open our hands up rather than fold them. We open them up. I just think that's a... A better posture for us to take. It's open hearts, open hands, open lives to God. So let's, let's pray together right now. And God, we do, we come to you. We ask you to give us a bigger picture because everything we see in the news and sound bites and tweets and Facebook posts, God is, is not taking us any place higher or greater. And so we come to the one who has already overcome it all, who sits on the throne, who reigns and rules over it all. We come to you because of our great mediator, Jesus Christ, who came and made a way for us, laid down his power so that we could actually pray and speak with the God of the universe, the one who establishes kings and queens and thrones on earth. We can have a relationship with you and call you Father. And so, Father, we pray for our elected officials. We do pray for our mayor, Rahm Emanuel. We pray for him right now. I can't imagine how challenging his job is. And so, God, we pray for courage. We pray for conviction. We pray for wise counsel around him. And, God, we want to pray as well right now for our governor, Governor Rauner, and for our senators, Senators Kirk and Durbin. We pray, God, that you would give them the same wisdom and courage, discernment. We pray for encouragement for these leaders 
as challenging as their jobs can be, we pray that they'd be encouraged and somehow, some way through this time of prayer right now, they would be encouraged by your love. God, we pray that they would all come to know and have, as you laid out for us, that all would have a relationship with you. We pray for those who don't yet know you to come into relationship with you. God, we pray for our president, President Obama. We pray that you continue to give him the strength to lead, to finish well, to begin to see a greater purpose beyond the Oval Office for the next season of his life. We thank you for his leadership. And God, we pray for our candidates, the ones that we know of and the ones that we don't. We pray for Donald Trump. We pray for him by name because he's your son and you love him. And he matters to you and so he matters to us. And we pray for Hillary Clinton. She's your daughter and you love her. She's made in your image and she matters to you and so she matters to us. These are not targets. These are your children. So forgive us for the jokes. Forgive us for either or, all or nothing propositions that eliminate a third way in you. God, we also continue to pray for Jill Stein and for Gary Johnson and for every other candidate, God, that is running outside of this two-party system. God, we pray that you would encourage them as well. And, and God, we do, we pray for our nation right now that continues to grow divided and I've seen some difficult days lately. God, we pray, we pray, we pray that it would be encouraged by the presence of your love made known through little spiritual communities like this. And that while we choose not to put our faith in elections, we do put our faith in action when we go to work, when we're with our family, when we're with our friends, and that the world would actually get a taste of and come to see and know you because of the love made known through us. And so God, lead us there as we pray and as we commit ourselves to you. Lead us to the places, God, that you would have for us. And we choose to listen, to trust, and to obey. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, Jesus, being fully God and fully human, committed himself to prayer. It's really fascinating to think about the fact that Jesus was God, and yet he still prayed to God. Because he was human. And he knew that the only way to make it through this life and in this world was, be to connect, was to be connected to God in prayer. And so Jesus prayed a ton in fact, the Bible has a ton of prayers of Jesus. And one of the ones that I love is a prayer he prayed for you and he prayed for me in John 17. In fact, just hours before his arrest and his crucifixion and ultimately his resurrection, he prayed a prayer for you and for me. And I think it's incredibly appropriate and important for days like this. You don't have to turn there in your Bible. I just want to read it to you. It's John 17. And in John 17, verse 15, it says this, my prayer is not that you take them, us, his followers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Just pause right here. How many of us have found ourselves praying over the last couple of months, just come, Lord Jesus, come. End it all. We can't take it anymore, right? That's actually not the prayer. Jesus says, no, actually, God, I know that you actually have them in this world for a reason. So while you have them in this world, protect them from the evil one because they're not of the world, even as I am not of it. They have a greater 
purpose and perspective. So sanctify them. That means make them whole, make them clean, make them new by the truth. Your word is truth. And I love this in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So much for so long, Christian culture has been pulling away from our world and making a nice little cocoon for ourselves. And that's not what we're about. The prayer that Jesus prayed for you is that you would go into this world in the reality of God's love, connected to him through prayer and living out a third way with Jesus. So that no matter what the choices or decisions you have to make, no matter who wins this Tuesday, in him, you will actually never lose. You'll never lose. So what we want to do is come back to the reality of Jesus as made known through his death and his resurrection. We're going to come to the communion table. And so in a moment, our volunteers are going to come. They're going to pass out these elements. It's a little gluten-free cracker and a cup. And they're just symbols of what Jesus talked about, about his body, which he said would be broken for us. A reminder that God came to be with us. And he took the bread off the table with his followers seated there at the table just hours before his arrest and crucifixion. He broke it. And he said, this is to remind you of my body broken for you. I came to be with you. I actually came to be with you so that you could be in relationship with me. And then he took the cup and he said, this is to remind you of my blood. It's the only perfect and, and pure blood to ever flow through human veins. And I pour it out fully and freely to cover over every sin. The totality of humanity's depravity, your sin and mine, all of it covered by the sacrificial blood of Jesus. This is real power, that he would lay down his body and pour out his blood for you and for me so that we could have another way, a better way. And so we just thought it'd be incredibly appropriate as we come around to an election Tuesday to stop and come to the greatest power and authority of all, to come to the table of Jesus Christ, to the, to the death that looked like a defeat, to the resurrection that was the ultimate victory for you and for me. So our amazing volunteers are going to come. They're going to pass out these elements. Here's all I'd ask you to do. Take a little gluten-free cracker, take a cup, and just hold on to it for a moment. I'll come back and lead us through uh, these elements in just a second. But just take these two elements and hold them in quiet reflection and consideration of what God has done for you and for me through his body and his blood.